Welcome to the Drive with Dave podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Miller at drivewithdave.com. I get to drive some of the fastest, coolest, sexiest cars on the planet. Ever since I bought my first Ferrari, I've been immersed in the global car community. Now I travel the world uncovering the hidden gems in luxury transportation and connecting with extraordinary car enthusiasts. Join me as I find the most exotic cars, meet the owners, and get the behind-the-scenes stories of the world's most exclusive rides. Car guys meet car guys through friends. In this case, Philip Berry in Chicago. Another car fanatic, Philip insisted I meet Stefan, and it was an instant friendship. Born in Paris, Stefan came to the United States in 1985 for an internship in international logistics after college. His grandfather started a logistics company in Paris way back in 1931. His dad took it over, and Stefan was supposed to carry on, but instead he chose, perhaps wisely, to stay in the United States. Successful, he decided to open up in Asia, and that sort of propelled his company to a different level. Asia, China in particular, was their primary market. Eventually, Stefan and his business partner sold the business in 2012. By that time, they'd had 2,200 employees in over 30 countries around the world, 75 offices, and had become a $1 billion company. He sold that company to a Fortune 250 company as flying 200,000 miles a year was just getting on his nerves, just wearing him down. Since then, Stefan has redirected his energies and resources to a variety of activities such as well, that's really why Stefan's here. Stefan has managed to put together an incredible collection of cars, spending his money, as I see it, extremely wisely, buying an old warehouse in the Fulton Market area and turning it into a car gallery. So we're going to talk about his cars, we're going to talk about his business, all of the rest of that stuff, uh, and we're also going to talk a little bit about how his business opportunities have allowed him to spend more time with his children, his girlfriend, and visiting his family in France. Stefan Rambaud, Chicago, welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Now, I've already mentioned that you were born in Paris, and I'm going to assume somewhere along the line that grandfather or that father may have gotten you into the car thing, or was that just you? Well, it was actually my father and my mother to a certain degree. I mean, my mom had a little MGBGT. The three of us, my two sisters and I fit in the back. I, I don't know how we did. Hmm. And, you know, after that, she had a 2002 TII, BMW, my Great dad. Car. Had, car. You know, he had Mercedes, after Mercedes. The most significant one was a 350 SLC. So, you know, my parents always had nice cars and I would, you know, wash my dad's car during the weekend. And, you know, so I always liked cars. And uh, that, I think that's kind of how it started. What did you buy? What were you given? A hand-me-down? What was your first car? Yeah, I got a hand-me-down from my dad that was not very glamorous. It was an old Renault 5 mm. and uh, didn't break very well. It had a little bit of rust everywhere, but that's what I got. You drove that for years until it fell apart? or <laughs> Yeah, I, I drove I drove that for, for a few years. And then when I came to the States, funny enough, a friend of mine sold me his Renault 5, which was called the Le Car in the States, if uh, you remember. I do. And uh, for $500, and it was a Ross bucket. It didn't even have a, a muffler. And uh, that's what I used to, to go to work for a while. And, uh, and eventually, things got a little bit better when I made a few bucks. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I had those little Renaults for, for years. So, so your friend here in the States, when you came to the United States, if I'm following this, you bought one of the, what, five or six existing running Renaults in the United States at that time. 
<laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. You said when you got a little bit more successful, though, that you um, you bought your first real car. Was it an exotic? Actually, the first car I bought was a Saab 900 Turbo. Hmm. I just I just had a thing for Saabs. I thought they were just fabulous cars, and uh, I had about three Saabs after that. And uh, so, yeah, 900 Turbo, and, and then eventually a 900 Turbo convertible. But my first exotic car was a TR6, a Triumph TR6. I had one. Oh, yeah, British Racing Green. Uh-huh. I just, you know, I was listening to your, your podcast with Dave Alexander, and, and he was talking about how he loved those little British cars when he got into, you know, the, the vintage cars. And it was really the same for me. And born and raised in France, mm-hmm. you know, we saw those little English cars everywhere. And so it was, you know, it was a dream. Yeah, I think my first car, first sports car, if you, if you can call it that, was a Triumph TR3, baby blue, uh, beat to hell. But I loved that little car. And then I bought a, a TR6 as well. I loved that car. That was that was so much fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you think the French are different than the rest of the world when it comes to cars? Well, you know, it's funny because there is a big vintage market in France. And, you know, when you... People who don't really know about cars don't realize that, you know, pre-war, the best cars in the world were French cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the French had a huge impact on the in the uh, on the automotive industry, mm-hmm. going back to Mr. Renault and Mr. Citroën, and you know, you look at cars like the Dolaé and the Dolage and mm-hmm. the Bugatti, and and there were just so many. And, uh, you know, the Citroën SM, the Citroën Maserati, the DS, those were significant cars um, over time. So, you know, and I think that the the French actually car industry right now is doing quite well. I think Renault is the fourth group in the world. Hmm. But, uh, you know, there is when you when you collect cars, you collect old Jags, old Ferraris, you know, old little Mercedes. I do have one Renault 5 Turbo, but it's a, you know, it's a special car and I'm having someone, you know, build a, a Citroën SM, a Citroën Maserati for me. And that's a significant car too. But, you know, it's, my collection is English, German, Italian, mostly. You know, I want to, I want to <laughs> stop you for one second on that Citroën SM because, uh, you know, our friend, and I don't think you've met Tim Roberts, has one as well. And I think the two of you guys are going to have to sit down and arm wrestle for who has the better car. Um, I've been at his, not yours yet. I haven't seen it. It's still under restoration. Is that right? Excuse me. Yeah, it is still in restoration. It's, you know, it's about two months away, but I've heard that for six months, so I'm not holding my breath. Mm-hmm. It's a complicated car. It's, you know, oiler pneumatic, pneumatic suspensions and brakes. You've seen it. Yeah, I have. Uh, um, so it's, it's complicated, but, uh-huh. you know, it's a, it's a labor of love from David Humes in, in Kentucky, and I'm not going to push him. Do I you, want the car to be perfect. Uh, obviously, Stefan, one of the reasons that yeah, I, I guess I should say I'm obsessed. I really am. I'm obsessed with the story behind the cars. As wonderful as your car collection is and some of the things you've driven and some of the things that you and I get in and out of, I just find it so fascinating to hear why people buy certain cars. And I, I have to ask you because I do all the time. Are exotic cars the reward for people's success in life? Is that how you see it? Well, I think, you know, if you 
if you are interested in cars and you slave away for 30 years and eventually you sell your business and, and you have a few bucks, um, yeah, it's one of my hobbies. It's a very time-consuming one. I just, you know, I only buy cars that I can drive mm -hmm. and I want them to look as good as they can and, and work as well as they can. So, you know, it is a reward. I mean, I come to my car gallery almost every day and I'm still, you know, to this day, always like a kid in a candy store. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I'm like you, you know, I'm not going to take the engine apart. Um, I, you know, I used to do that with my motorcycles, but I don't do it with these cars. I let specialists do it. So, yeah, it's a reward. It's a great reward. Uh, you can, you know, either buy a, a painting and look at it every day, or you can buy a collector's car and you can look at it and drive it. <laughs> so it's a lot more fun. And, and again, your garage I've been to now, I'm thinking two, three, four times. And every time I walk in there, I keep wondering the same question that a lot of people ask. Stefan, where do you keep the key to that garage again? Just um, tell Well, that's a thing. That's a secret, Dave. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one day. <laughs> There's a bottle of Salsera in this for you. That's for sure. Probably from half the audience. But let's focus on your cars. You've pulled together quite a group of cars in your garage. First, how long did it take you to amass this little collection? It took me about uh, four years. Mm -hmm. I started with a, a little Austin Healey right after the sale of the company. Mm -hmm. And that really epitomizes the little vintage car you know mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. uh it's really uh, it's a cutie and you know then i i bought a few jags here and there you know i take my time in in selecting them i'm not into projects because i think lots of projects um never come to fruition really and yes so i uh, so i was going to say stefan so your first car is you bought an austin healy i think it's a 3000 if i remember it's just a beautiful little yep. car and then you kind of segued into jaguars so you kind of stayed with your british roots when it came to the things you liked absolutely i have uh three types and an xk 150s the the xk 150 is, is particularly stunning i think and, it, and i think it's a beautiful car it still has the the grill of the 30s cars mm -hmm. uh, and it works very well so you know those and and then I saw a, uh, a 280 SL that I liked you know Mercedes and you know since I know Dave Alexander like you eventually mm. I bought a, a 308 GTB fiberglass right um, so you know kind of a mix but you know I used to go to to the movie with my father all the time to watch the latest Bond movie mm -hmm, sure. and I've, I've always had a thing for James and uh -huh. uh, so I have a few Aston Martins and I have a Z8 as well. Uh -huh. So I have about I have four cars that were driven in in Bond movies and and that's kind of fun. So that was kind of a prompter when it came to it. You you sat down and you said if I'm going to get some Jane. So what are you missing? You're missing a Lotus, the one that one underwater. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> but I but I know that you have some great Aston Martins and of course one that's always touched my heart is the older car. And what 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 is that one? So that's a 1959 DB MK3, which mm -hmm. is also called the DB2-4 mm -hmm. MK3. And, um, you know, it was it stayed in a barn for about 20 years in the 80s and 90s. And, and the restoration really started in the early 2000s. I bought it from someone in San Diego uh, about two and a half years ago. And the restoration really wasn't entirely finished, particularly mechanically. 
there were issues with the crankshaft and some other issue, issues. So it took about a, another year for me to be able to actually sit in it and drive it. One of the pistons needed to, you know, there was just lots of work mm-hmm. that needed to be done. And actually Continental in Hinsdale sure. uh, managed the entire process because it is complicated. So mm-hmm. but the car today is probably, I think, maybe one of the best, you know, DBMK3s in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some some great people worked on it. So I'm, I'm really excited. It is the nicest car in my collection, for sure. And I, I have seen it many a time. I have sat in it. And frankly, I just can't wait the opportunity to uh, slide behind the wheel and take it around the block with you. I think that's going to be one of my highlights because I, I have an Aston Martin, not a DB24. But uh, I do have an Aston. I'm particularly fond of those cars as well. Now, the other Aston you had right out of the James Bond movie, What what's that one? So I have an AM V8, the Aston Martin V8. It's a 79. It was in a couple of uh, 70s Bond movies. Uh, It's black with tan interior, convertible. I have a 2005 Vanquish S, which was in, I think, Die Another Day with uh, Halle Berry and Brosnan. Uh I think that's a really, really stunning Aston. It was the last year they made them by hand at the Newton Pagnol plant, the old Aston Martin plant. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, yeah, I think that's, that's about it. The DB, the, the AMV8 and the, the Vanquish, I think that's, uh, that's good enough for me, three Astons. And I know, I know the DB24 is a special car, but that AM, the, that V8 car, how do you enjoy that car? You know, it's... Uh, <clears throat> it's very rare. You don't you don't see a lot of them on the web, mm-hmm. and uh, this one was upgraded with you know Prince of Wales features. Uh, Charles used to have one, and um, so it's it's a V8. It's very roomy inside. It has a you know a few features that most cars didn't have at the time, and uh, it drives extremely well. It's a very fun car to to drive, and I think it's a stunning car. I mean mm-hmm. it, it's. You know, like you and I said before, it's the English version of the muscle car, because it looks the front looks very much like a like a Mustang or Shelby. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful car. So you also have one car that I, I believe it's one that's American Muscle. Um, how would you compare that car first? What is that car, and how would you compare it with the uh, AM uh, Aston? Well, <laughs> it was not built the same way. Uh-huh. Um, you know, those Fords were, were quickly out of the line and it was about making lots of them and there were lots of mechanical issues. But when I drive my Shelby GT500, uh, it's a 67, it's dark green metallic with a white stripe all the way across. People just go crazy. Mm. Um, it's, it's, uh, very fun to drive. I wouldn't drive it if it's wet outside and I can spin the tires in third gear, but Mm -hmm. It's, uh, that's the one American car that I wanted to have. And I'm, you know, I think the vets are beautiful and all that, but you have to make choices when you have a gallery that can really only handle about 16 cars. You, you know, you have to pick and being, you know, born and raised in France and seeing all those European cars all over the years, that's what I've always liked. And and I was going to say, so that's your single American muscle car. What? Was this a car that you've always liked? I don't remember it being in a Bond movie. Halle Berry did not get behind the wheel of one of these. So what was your impetus? What? Uh, wh- why did you say one day, I got to buy one of these? 
you know, that's the car, that's the American car that you saw in France. The Mustang, there is, you know, it's a myth, there's a cult. I mean, it's a, it's a Mustang, you know, it's, uh, I remember watching Bullet with my father as well, with mm-hmm. that fastback that oh, you know, yeah. McQueen was driving. And, yeah. and I thought, you know, if one day I'm going to have an American car, it's going to be a, a Mustang. And, and that Shelby GT, you know, came up, I found it on the web one day. And, um, yeah, I'm so glad I have it. As a matter of fact, when my friends come here, usually they go to the Shelby first. <laughs> I'll always remember me as one of your friends. That's right. <laughs> because... You're welcome. You're welcome here anytime. <laughs> You've got a couple of Ferraris. I remember seeing them. Why Ferraris and what do you, what do you own? So I have that 308 GTB fiberglass red. That's beautiful. That was... Uh, you know, acquired by, by Continental and they uh, worked on the engine mm-hmm. a little bit. The, their mechanic Todd that they have there is exceptional Todd working on all, yes, right. yeah, working on, on older models. Mm-hmm. Uh, it drives just it's wonderful. And, and I it was there was there something about that particular car? Seventy five, seventy six, what year was it? Yeah, so that's a seventy six. Okay. It was the you know, really the the beginning year of the three oh eight GTB. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I oh, the the shape of that Ferrari mm-hmm. all, always, um, you know, I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful. And and of course, you know, yes, in France, I used to watch Magnum as well, Magnum PI, and he had one of those. I don't think he had a fiberglass, but mm-hmm. um, and I thought that really epitomized the Ferrari. You know, the vintage Ferrari. I'm not going to buy five and ten million dollar Ferraris. Of course, I'd love to have a two fifty, you know, GTO, but that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So that was the vintage Ferrari I wanted. I'm sure one day I'll get another one. And my other Ferrari is an F12. Great car. Yeah, and that one I take on the track. And uh, and I drive it in the summer, you know, almost every day. I mean, it's really a wonderful car, mm-hmm. even to drive around town. Oh, yeah. Love, love the cars. Great, great choices. Um, so are you... Are you done? Let's let's run through this. You've got uh, a couple of E types, if I remember. You mm-hmm. um, you have the uh, the one fifty. That's a, that's a stunning show car. You've got the Ferraris. You have the uh, Aston Martins. Um, what what else am I missing? What have I forgotten? Well, I also have my father's old car, uh, that SLC, that Mercedes. Uh-huh. I found one in California that had been. Uh, owned and driven only by one individual mm-hmm. and you know it was really in memory of my father who's still alive by the way mm-hmm. uh, and that car was in great shape but i brought it up you know a few notches i think it's very fun to drive when my son comes to town actually that's the one i gave him when he needs a car and he always tells me papa i could drive this every day well of course your grandfather drove it every day for 10 years uh-huh. so that's a wonder you know it's a wonderful car and I also have another car that amuses a lot of people, which is a 1995 Defender. Hmm. It's red. I and um, I just love, that's my one truck. And I just love that truck. So There's something about those Defenders. And now, of course, they become cult status. It seems their, their prices have gone from nothing to something overnight. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long have yeah. you had it? I've had it for about, I bought it from... Uh, you know, that dealer in, in uh, Boston, their, their name escapes me, but they're a Defender specialist in the U.S. I've had it for about 
two and a half years, and I just had it. Um, I took it to this this uh, defender specialist in Barrington, uh, and all they work on all they work on are defenders. And you would not believe how many defenders I saw there in their shop when I went there. I just was amazed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There are still lots of them around. Stefan, here at Drive with Dave, we we love to share shortcuts and tips with our listeners and. Um, Obviously, your successes in business have allowed you to fulfill your passion for automobiles. Frankly, everybody wants a lifestyle that lets them enjoy their hard work. So you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. How, how did you do it? Well, you know, I had in, in 85, as you said earlier, I either had a, a choice. You know, there are forks in one's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could have stayed with the family business and you know, work for my father with my father. And, and instead, I chose to stay here after that internship because I thought America represented a better opportunity for, for me and for the industry I was in, international shipping, you know, a lot of trade with Asia, a lot of trade with Europe. And so, you know, it was about just uh, being very passionate about what I did, working very hard. And, um, you know, I wanted to have my own office. So I went down to St. Louis and, op- and opened up my own office. And, you know, that grew fast. And, and then from then on, you know, we opened lots of other offices. Um, but it was about, you know, believing in the company, believing in myself and, and just, you know, working hard and keeping your nose clean. And, uh, and you know, eventually, I think good things happen. That You know, the issue today is that you know a lot of kids that come out of college think that they are owed something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the 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 level the work ethics are not maybe as they used to be, and you know people jump around a lot from one job to another, which which may be good, or you know may not be so good. I mean I worked at the same company for thirty years. Uh, I know that doesn't happen much anymore, but no. I became an owner. You know, I became a shareholder very quickly, so you know that kind of settled that anyway. Um, but it's you know people forget that it's about a lot of hard work, just like you flying around, meeting people, you're involved in different businesses. There's no secret, right? Right, right. But um, it sounds like hard work. But you know, you open this door, and I'm going to just fling it. You, you gave it a crack. I'm going to open it completely. I've met your, and I think it's your nephew. Is that Alex? Is that his name? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. So Alex obviously wants to follow in his uber successful uncle's footsteps. So if you were mentioning, if you were mentoring a kid coming out of college he or she regarding business successes what do you tell alex what do you tell um somebody else's children that are sitting there saying gee stefan we want to do the same thing how do we how do we get there what would you tell a kid coming out of college right now well it's interesting because i had lunch with him two weeks ago in paris Mm. and uh and i would tell him what i would tell a lot of kids coming out of college which is you know you first have to decide what you would like to do of course um you know, people like you and I who do what they love every day, mm. uh, I view that as a bit of a luxury. But it's, you know, pick pick a path, an industry, and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Alex, for example, has dabbled at international logistics. Now he's more in the, uh, you know, techie data world. Um, 
and you know he loves cars just like you and I do and I just you know I think that it's really important to decide at least you know an industry you would like to learn about and stick to it for a while and don't expect anything from anyone learn you know read lots of books and you know I think that's really important too and I heard you say a little bit earlier, though, that it seems like the younger people today, um, uh, whether you agree with the statement or not, that millennials are maybe not as interested in staying at a job. Everybody wants to be the next uh, Elon Musk or whomever it is that uh, you can hop around and be successful. It sounds to me like you you sort of ascribe to the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of distractions today. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, do think that, it's easy to create something in your garage and, and be the, the next, you know, Bill Gates. Um, it isn't, you know, it's, uh, I think it takes a lot of years. Companies today, you know, are started and they're sold three or four years later. It's not based on a multiple of the EBITDA. It's based on, you know, data points on, you know, number of customers. It's, it's all sorts of different uh, KPIs that are involved, but, you know, so everything seems to go faster than it used to. But at the end of the day, you know, stick to your job a little bit. Don't blame your boss for everything that, you know, goes wrong or that you don't like. Right. Keep your nose clean and, you know, I think good things will happen. And just like you now, I have to blame my boss because uh, <clears throat> that's me. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I, right. everybody else blames me. Everybody else probably <laughs> blames you, Stefan. So there you go. <laughs> Hey, I want to get back to a couple of points. Self-driving cars, what's going to happen in the future? Well, I think the, the only thing that's, you know, holding that back is regulation because, you know, it's, you see them, whether it's, you know, Google, I think Mercedes is very advanced too, uh, obviously, you know, Musk and, and others. You know, it's coming and, and, you know, when I drive down from Chicago to San Luis or to Minneapolis or, you know, I wish I was in a, you know, self-driving car sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, but it's mostly not for me. You know, I for me it has to make some noise, it has to yeah. smell, and mm-hmm. I have to drive it and feel it. And you know, that's my generation too, and mm-hmm. and yours. And uh, but I think one day maybe it's gonna you know for people like you and I, it's gonna be a mix of the two. You know, for a longer a longer drive, it's gonna be a self-driving car, yeah. and then. You know, our little vintage cars and your Aston Martin will be to drive around the countryside Yeah, and chill. I think it's so funny because I've said this a million times now, but horses used to be used for transportation. Now they're just used for fun, just for weekends. Does that fade away today's gasoline automobiles? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, one day people will probably look at us when we're driving with a vintage and say, really? You're, pollu- you're 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 polluting that bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, in Paris already there is. We have a, a mayor there that's uh, pretty specific about pollution, pretty intense. And uh, you know, you can't drive a, a vintage car in Paris during the week, mm-hmm. only during the weekend. So, you know, it's restricting a lot of people. And uh, I think America is in love with its vintage stuff mm-hmm. and you know with all the cars and i don't think that's around the corner hopefully but uh you know there is nothing like sitting down in a db mk3 starting the car and driving around mm-hmm. just nothing and you won't get you know any buzz from sitting down in a self-driving tesla and 
driving around. As good as, and, and again, the T word, as good as the Teslas are, and they are wonderful. I mean, it's just a, it's a great automobile. I remember getting a test drive when they were first coming out before they were being publicly sold. And I thought, wow. And now I think, you know, it's fine. It's okay. It doesn't make any noise. It's still fast and all that stuff. But it just, I'm like you, uh, Stefan, I need that noise. I need all that kind of stuff. Um, t- tell, tell me about now. You're successful, of course, but let's talk really successful. So you hit Powerball, and you've got a ton of money. You don't care what it costs. You mentioned that 250 GTO. If you had one car and only one, what would you buy in the entire world and why? Well, I think that 250 GTO would be right there. Mm-hmm. I know there were, I think there were 28 made, so mm-hmm. maybe one of the 28 would be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, or two. But my gra- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But my grandfather's Delay from 1935, I have a... I have a picture of it uh, in my car gallery, as a matter of fact. I think those those Delay were, were the just the most beautiful cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think today they go for between six and ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ones that are in, in concours conditions. Um, so that would definitely uh, be one of them. You know, I'm not a big fan of of the, the big fast Bugattis and, and all of that. I think, you know, those old French cars from the 30s, Ferraris uh, are, I think, you know, beautiful too, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But I think a nice old Delay would be nice. It would be right in the middle of my uh, car collection, for sure. And I would think you had mentioned uh, Bugattis too, and I'm, I'm not a big fan. I understand the purpose. Uh, it's uh, more a display of wealth than, than it is some of the old Bugatti Atlantiques and some of those cars that are just uh, absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, absolutely. I I have to ask you uh, one last question. It'll probably morph into two or three, but everybody has aspirations in life. You've hit this spot in your life that is obviously good. Um, obviously, you have time to uh, do all the things in life, most of the things in life that you want to do. But what's what's next? You have aspirations. Everybody does. What are you going to do next? How are you going to do it? Well, I'm involved in in uh, a few different companies and. You know, I'm working with my former CFO, which really for me now is <clears throat> more about the journey than than the result, really. Uh, so, you know, being successful with him in our uh, venture is is important to me. The real estate developments, I'm working on a pretty sizable uh, mid-rise, you know, in the in in Chicago, mm-hmm. in the River West area, and I think that's going to be a two or three year project. You know, about 190 units. That's important too. So, you know, I think some some real estate uh, staying engaged uh, with business, I think, is really important to me. I'm only 53, and I think you know, retiring in Florida now would turn my brain into mush. Mm-hmm. So, but it's I think today the balance is is far greater than it used to be uh, between working and spending time with my family, my friends. You know, when you come to town, <clears throat> it's a pleasure to see you. I couldn't have done that before. I probably would have been in London, Hong Kong, or Shanghai. Mm-hmm. So now I have a lot more time for the things that make life greater. And I'm, I'm very thankful to, you know, to have that opportunity. Again, the reason you're on the show today, Stefan, is your, um, your outlook on life. I think you and I became fast friends, of course, over a glass of white wine and talking about cars 
I, I just love the collection you put together. I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what's next when the Citroen SM comes back. I hope for a ride in that car. There are several cars that I'd like to drive, and of course, we're going to do a, uh, we're going to do a, uh, a blog post on you and your terrific uh, place. I hope somewhere along the line too that party comes off that we've talked about. Uh, I would love for your friends and maybe some of mine to uh, to come by and uh, share the stories about how these cars all came into being. Stefan yeah, that Rambaud, would be great. Stefan Rambaud, Chicago car collector, entrepreneur, uber successful dude. Uh, Stefan, if people want to reach out to you, is there an email address that's best? Would you say there's a website that's good for you? Where, If somebody wants to say, hey, I want to touch base with this guy because uh, I've got the same car. I want, uh, I want to meet him and see his cars. How do they do that? Well, I guess they can reach me through LinkedIn. Okay. You know, you can. You can find me easily there. Um, you know, my email address is stefan.rambo31 at gmail.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm involved with the Jag Club, the Aston Martin Club. So, you know, I'm exchanging more and more information with people. And it's it's always a lot of fun. And you meet some great people when you're in this. Because, you know, a lot of them have been successful. That's why they have those cars. And you learn a lot from them. And I, like I said before, somewhere mid-show, I, I am absolutely fascinated why people buy things, what their tastes in cars are, how it runs the gamut from uh, old American stuff to uh, old English stuff and everything in between. You've amassed a great car collection. I'm looking forward to putting that out uh, in the months to come in, in front of our readers and our audience. Stefan Rambaud in Chicago, thank you for your time. I appreciate being with us this morning. Thanks, David. It was great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening today, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you think. Go to drivewithdavepodcast.com and find out how to leave us a review on iTunes. I hope it's a good one, which we would very much appreciate. And there's a way to email us your questions, comments, and who you want on the show as well. All the episodes of Drive With Dave Podcast are on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and an overview of all the shows with links can be found on drivewithdave.com. Don't miss an episode. When you subscribe to the podcast, your device will be automatically updated with the new episodes and old ones will be removed after you've listened to them. No work required. And finally, I hope you also check out our bi-monthly newsletter, which will keep you in the know. And you can sign up at drivewithdave.com.